So we're looking at now in this session roles of men and women in serving the local church. And I would I've put in brackets an attempt at a biblical framework for serving the future mission ahead of us. Now, it's not that this hasn't been taught on lots, and there's so many books and uh, podcasts and all sorts of opinions, and I've read very widely over many years uh, on this, uh, and uh, I, I think there are, it's, it's a complicated subject. You don't need me to tell you that. So I, I'm uh, going to avoid um, being dogmatic about things that I think are unhelpful to be dogmatic about, but I hope that we can... Just make some progress together so that there's a sense of um, confidence and uh, a commendation in terms of the Holy Spirit giving us a witness. If this is this is what the Bible says, we're happy with this, so that we can just kind of make make some some uh, progress as we go forward into to, to all that God has for us uh, in the future. And I've asked Angela to do uh, this with me, so I'll just kind of share some things first and then I invite Angela to, to bring her contribution into that. Now, forgive me for starting at the obvious, but there are mainly two, preva- well, there are two prevailing views. There's the egalitarian view, which means that there's a belief that there's no difference in role or function whatsoever between men and women, so it's completely interchangeable. Everything that a man can do, a woman can do, everything a woman can do, a man can do within the context of the local church, that kind of egalitarian view. Uh, Then the complementarian view is a belief that there is total equality, but that that is expressed in a a difference of... um, It's total equality, but that's expressed in a different complementary nature in which men and women serve, not because one is capable, which is still not working properly, not because one is more capable than another in a setting, but that simply God has asked different responsibilities of men and women. So those are the broad sort of uh, areas. I would have to say I have a very uh, healthy respect for egalitarians. I would have no problem sharing a platform with an egalitarian. I don't think it is an issue where you divide lines and, you know, it's not a major doctrinal rift if someone has an egalitarian view and someone has a complementarian view, in my opinion. So I'm quite happy to share platforms with egalitarians or conferences or all the rest of it, even though I am a convinced complementarian. I would call myself a soft complementarian, which is a phrase I found in a book uh, after I'd coined it. So I was quite... I, was quite, I, I will take the original thought of that. I'm quite a soft complementarian. Uh, most of the stuff I'm going to uh, cover theologically, which I'll do very quickly, is in the Word Plus uh, roles of men and women thing that Goff and I put together years ago. So I haven't changed from the basic theology, <coughs> excuse me, but I recognize that we need to just kind of perhaps emphasize one or two things about that. And then the, the really key things about how do we outwork it, how do we implement it, I want to sort of spend most of the the time on. It's important also to say that we mustn't let culture force us into what we think is an acceptable theology. Um, Because if we do that for one thing, then we'll do it for other things, and then you end up being not being true to Scripture. So we've actually got to say, even if it causes me to go right against the culture of my day, if Scripture says something, then we need to proclaim it. So we've got to to really kind of get that in place. why do we need to do this now? Well, I think uh, there's lots of talk about this subject, so I want to make sure that we feel 
uh, comfortable. I think this is, uh, and this isn't something I said, this is something Ben at Lowestoft said, and I, I agree with him, that, that actually it's not about changing our theology, it's about helping our practice reflect our theology. And I think that's a very helpful way of looking at it. There's some things I think we need to explore and adjust and be free to uh, make some, some mature assessments of that are not changing theology. They're just trying to help us, well, let's actually practice what we believe rather than just do what we've always done because um, then you'll always get what you've always had, which is not always good. I think the... <laughs> So there is a there is a force of habit. There's we've just well this is how we've always done it. Uh, there's current church practice. There's also, to be honest, a complete lack of detailed scripture showing some of the nuts and bolts. And even the bits we do have seem at times to be slightly ambiguous when you put them with other bits. And so you're trying to sort of piece this together. And you think this is really not straightforward. So I think we have to make what, I would, what Arthur Wallace used to say, a diligent attempt to be, bi to be biblical. Um, and as I've looked and read and looked through all the different scriptures, and these, this says this bit, and this says this bit, and you try to you think, well, that, how does that work with that? That's very difficult. My conclusion is this, in, in a broad brushstroke. Where there is apparent ambiguity in scripture, um, I've concluded that is intentional. I've concluded it's not an error of translation. It's not that Paul dropped a bit of his manuscript. It's not that um, some of it is culture-bound and some isn't relevant. You can, some's got greater weight than other. I, all Scripture is useful for teaching, correcting, training in righteousness. All Scripture. So it's, this is, none of this is culture-bound. I don't believe the issue of men and women is a cultural issue at all. It's a biblical issue. I think there is an intentional ambiguity about how God has nuanced the scriptures as they've come down to us for several reasons. And the most, that's got you quiet, hasn't it? The, 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 and it's, I think there's ambiguity, for example, on things like finances in church life. There's, there's some stuff, but it's a little ambiguous. How do you do all that? How do you structure that? There's ambiguity about the structure of meetings. We've got no real record of what a New Testament church meeting is supposed to look like. We've just got bits, and then some bits don't really seem to fit with other bits, and I think there's an intentional ambiguity. I think uh, there's some ambiguity about things like healing and the kingdom of God, you know, now and the not yet. There's things that don't seem to always fit easily together. If I can talk about an ambiguity of some of the more, some of the more complicated pastoral issues in life, for example, what is the age of responsibility of a child? At what age does a child become responsible before God? Well, Scripture doesn't really tell you. There's an ambiguity. I think where Scripture presents an ambiguity, it's because God wants us to avoid dogma. And the reason he wants us to avoid dogma is dogma in an issue that requires great mature sensitivity will not produce the fruit that God is looking for. So he's, he's, in, he's encouraging us to be very tender, careful, um, nuanced, and open in how we implement what we believe Scripture is saying. I think that when you handle an issue such as the roles of men and women, that is actually the attitude you have to bring to it. You have to bring an attitude to it of 
right, we need to handle this carefully, not with harsh rules and lines and um, strong statements. And to be honest, much of the stuff I've read, I, I've been a little disappointed with it because people, I think, have made strong statements from their point of view that I feel have been overstatements when they're not really considering the validity of someone else's perspective. And I think on an issue like this, you really do have to be um, not woolly, so you don't know where you are, but, you, but where there are lines that are not clear, we have to, uh, particularly on the practice, the outworking of the practice, we have to be careful. I think it's a bit like, uh, if we if you imagine it like a piece of land, um, if you nail in the, 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 the boundaries, the, fin the, the, the clear boundaries, right, this is the land that we've got to work in, that helps us. Because we know, well, if you cross that line, then no, we've gone too far, and that's not, that's not scriptural. But anything within this kind of land that is circled by these boundaries, then we're free to cultivate, to explore, to try and get the most fruitfulness out of it, to experiment, to think, well, that didn't really produce much growth. Let's try it this way. Let's try. I think cultivating within safe boundaries is the picture I would want to try and encourage us with. Some of us will make some mistakes, pendulums, swing backwards and forwards. I think we have to just learn as we go along, particularly when it comes to uh, the outworking of some of this stuff. Um, uh, an, issue, uh, an example of that would be this. Uh, in Corinthians, uh, just on the practical outworking, you've got, you've got chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, Paul giving very clear instructions about head coverings, and uh, the, uh, without getting into all that, the, the, the point of it being, although I do have a view on that, um, I will get into that actually in a minute. <laughs> I can't, it's like a, a, a bait, I can't, I can't resist the bait. Um, uh, when he gives instructions about how to conduct, how men and women are to conduct themselves in corporate meetings, it's with a view that he anticipates both men and women will be participating in the corporate worship. Yeah? So then when he gets into 1 Corinthians 14, he starts saying, when you come together. Now, he must still be thinking about men and women, otherwise he's contradicted what he said a few chapters earlier. He must be anticipating that um, each one, when you come together... Uh, will have um, a hymn, a lesson. Now, what's the difference between a lesson and a preach? Not told. A tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. So you think, okay, got that so far. And then just a few verses down, he says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent. Well, now, hang on a minute. Chapter 11, you were saying, look, this is how I want you to... Uh, present yourselves, uh, masculinity and femininity, which is actually what I think the head covering thing is all about. I think w women's feminine appearance is what he's talking about. I don't think it's a cultural thing at all. I think he's saying a woman's long hair is given to her as a covering. And how long is long? I think it's all to do with the culture that you're in. What looks feminine? That's the point I think he's trying to make. Let the distinction between men and women be obvious in the context of a gathered community for the sake of the glory of God who made men and women in his image and for the sake of the angels who are looking in and who themselves are glorifying God for his creation. That's what I think the role of, that's what I think the head covering thing is all about. I don't think it's anything to do with, uh, people dismiss it now and say oh, it's cultural. I don't think it's cultural. I think it's saying there's, a, there's something taught in creation about the way men and women should present themselves in a gathered company 
that reflects the fact God made them male and female. It's a reflection of God's creation. Um, so there you go, so decide one. Uh, you can disagree or agree. But the point he makes is there's a way you present yourselves in a mixed congregation. There's a way you conduct yourselves in terms of participation. Oh, and by the way, women keep silent. Now, anyone who's going to be dogmatic on that, really, you're a chump. Because... Uh, <laughs> Seriously, if there is a very delicate, he, he cannot mean, he cannot mean women cannot participate otherwise, at all, otherwise he wouldn't have said it in chapter 11. So what does silence mean? Well, it can't mean absolute silence. There must be a silence on some things. Silence on some things. Or don't, don't contribute in a way that in some things would be unhelpful. So... We've got to nuance that and outwork that. And that's where it gets, obviously, as we know, somewhat complicated. But I do think there's a way through. And that's what I want to try and um, uh, say. Also, just in terms of us as churches, I think there is a lot of latitude within us for us to work out our practices within a set of agreed uh, theological convictions. I would probably 100% say all of us in this room will be complementarians. I think that's, if you're an egalitarian, then you're most welcome, but there will be probably, <laughs> there will, you, you will probably struggle with all sorts of, even a male eldership. You think, well, you know, so I, I think it's not so much, are we all complementarians? It's more, how does that look then? What does, how do we outwork that? So I think elders govern the affairs of the church. You know, I, I can perhaps try and give us some, perimeters because I think perimeters bring safety if we think what well, well, we know there's the line we don't cross that biblically I think that actually produces freedom and and you may be in a setting I think there are cultural uh, and even geographical uh, contexts we can be in different from one another that mean you have to Consider the people you've got consider the culture you're in consider the way you even present what you're putting forward as a, as a template, uh, all of those things, I think, are part of the nuance of outworking this, um, this, this doctrine. So we'll go on to that a little bit more. So uh, those of you who want straight lines, um, sorry. <laughs> You're just not going to get them. I'll give you some conclusions, uh, but I, I can't give you... I can't give you hard lines. And one of the reasons, uh, the other reasons why I think this is deliberately poised to be ambiguous is because one of the results of the fall was um, part of the curse was uh, God said to, to, uh, the, to, to Eve, your desire will be for, or brackets, against your husband, and he shall rule over you. There is a fracture within fallen humanity that, seems to me that within fallen human nature men can be rather dominating of women and women can be rather cynical and dismissive of men. Those cultural pulls which I think have their roots in the fall, if we come in with hard lines of rules where well, you can't do this, you can't do that, I don't think we're learning how to honour and care for and encourage one another well. I think we just produce one set of rules for another. So I think there's another reason why we have to be very careful. So 
a few, few other things, um, just in terms of some, some broad the- theology. In Genesis 1, 26 to 28, we find clearly equality being, being portrayed. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. If we only had those verses, we would have to conclude there is no difference whatsoever in the authority the uh, responsibility, the uh, divine image, the, the relationship. The, there's no difference whatsoever between men and women as regards their mandate or their relationship to God or, or relationship to one another. And I think we have to let that equality paint set on the canvas. A bit like when Terry used to teach you about grace and then he'd teach you about saying no to sin. If you kind of do it too quickly, you can end up with a bit of a blur. I think, particularly for complementarians, we have to let that set. That's quite a thing. Be fruitful, multiply, uh, subdue it together. Take dominion together. There's something there about complete and utter equality and partnership that we have to let soak into our very fiber if we're going to let this outwork appropriately. So I think we've got to just let that, just kind of almost meditate on that. Let it, let, it just, let it just get into our system. There is an equality in how God made us. And, and that, that has to... Uh, now, I don't have time to let the paint dry too much, but just, 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 let, that, just let that be in your kind of heart. Then I think the, the issue of complementarity comes in in Genesis 2, 18 to 22, when... Um, there's the second account of that same incident of creation. So it's, 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 it's a different perspective on the same incident. The Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Uh, so uh, we see 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up the place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Um, now, that seems to give us uh, another picture of um, God, God's creation of, of men and women equally, but in a complementary way. Man was there first. It was out of man. It was, Eve was brought to him. The word helper there isn't like uh, a lesser a person. It's just saying someone to complement him, someone to come alongside him to to add what he hasn't got to complement his role not to be exactly the same as him but to complement him if you need a helper it's because it's something you need help with so it's it's a complementary role alongside equality so you have to have both those bits in place for us to really understand um, uh, the 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 creation of men and women and um, so equality and, and identity also mustn't be confused. We're not saying men are, are kind of more, more um, important 
uh, to God and that women are somehow a helper that's lesser. No, we're just saying it's a complementary role. There's roles that we have together that we need one another for in order to reflect the glory of God as he's made us. And then you, you then get the, the other issue of headship. Where if Genesis 1 speaks about equality, Genesis 2 speaks about being complementary uh, uh, to one another, a third aspect would be headship, where Ephesians 5.23, the husband is the head of the wife, 1 Corinthians 11.3, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, there's lots of debate. What does headship mean? Uh, people like F.F. F. Bruce, you know, weighty theologian, thinks it means source, like the beginning of a river. It doesn't imply authority over it, just means the beginning. Uh, Wayne Grudem apparently did a survey in 1977 of 2,336 uses of the Greek word kephali, which is what that word uh, is, in ancient Greek from the 8th century BC to the 4th century AD with 36 authors. Now, I didn't have time to just check his facts, so I kind of took it that he'd done the hard work for me, uh, and he uh, thinks the word means authority over. Um, my just kind of simple kind of, you know, uh, idiot's guide to the whole thing is I think that Scripture actually, you know, it's, Scripture's meaning is its plain and obvious meaning, uh, and you have to look to the Trinity to get your definition of what men and women's roles should look like. Now, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. None of us would say Jesus is less than the Father, but there was an ordering, and then even when Jesus uh, um, talks to in John 14, 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Um, when the helper comes, 1526, when the helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So in all of those scriptures, we find that although there's an absolute equality in the Godhead, there are complementary roles, and then there is, a, there is an authority, there's a submission, there's a working out of different workings within the Trinity that permits the Father to send the Son and permits the Son to ask the Father and send the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean there's an ordering of equality. It just means there's an order of operation and function. And if God has made man and woman in his image, then when people look at us functioning, something about the way we operate together should remind them of the God who made us. That's, that's the point. That's why I think the Corinthians 11 thing about head coverings is there. It's to say when people generally, when even the angels generally look at men and women in God's church, they should see something about the way God functions within himself because we have been made in his image and likeness. We must remind people of God. That, that, that's, that's what people should encounter when they see how we, how we conduct ourselves. So, uh, that's a very brief overview, and obviously you can read more about that yourself. You probably know more about that than I do. So, it's now when we get onto the thing of ministry, where I think I just want to sort of um, look into this. How do we, how do we outwork that? Um, uh, as I said, in 1 Corinthians 14, there's clearly an indication that Paul is anticipating... Uh, men and women functioning in the corporate 
uh, context of a meeting, even though 1 Corinthians 14, 26 begins, uh, 1 Corinthians 14 begins brethren, that seems to be, and again, I read as widely as I could, and you would never know how many books there are, just about one Greek word. Uh, it seems to be that it's a, it's a gender-specific, it's a gender-driven word, but it's an inclusive word. That seemed to be the conclusion I came to, that Paul was meaning men and women because he, in the previous three chapters ago, he'd been addressing men and women. So he's, he's now contextualizing his comments from cha chapter 11 into chapter 14 as to how we outwork stuff. So he's assuming that men and women will contribute with words of uh, instruction, prophecy, revelation, uh, words of wisdom, knowledge, etc., etc. Now, part of the problem we have is that the way we do church isn't necessarily the way they would have done church in the New Testament. So it's not like we've lifted a pattern out of the, the, the pages of the epistles and then just dropped it in, in our context. They would have met much more in homes, in households, which wouldn't have been like nuclear families. They would have been households of perhaps 100 or more people where you gathered all your friends and neighbours in courtyards. There would have been big gatherings, Solomon's Colonnade, with thousands of people. There would have been smaller settings. Uh, there would have been all kinds of contexts. So to try and exactly guess what Paul was referring to in Corinth, where did they meet, how often did they meet, all these things, there's lots of stuff being written about it, but it's not conclusive. So I think when we, uh, some of the questions we get like, can a woman preach on a Sunday? I think we ask that question with a 21st century context of how we do church on a Sunday morning. And I'm not entirely sure that that's the context Paul would be familiar with. I think just in simple um, terms, uh, for, what it's, for what it's worth, um, I think it's more about how do we display... Uh, appropriate equality yet complementarity in the way we do things. I think even in 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, in 1 Timothy 2.12, Paul says, I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. What is he saying there? He's clearly not saying that women can't contribute into a corporate meeting because he's already allowed that in Corinthians. I think he's talking about the feel of it. I know that's, for those of you who want real definition, you're thinking, no, that's not helping me. But I think, actually, that, that is it. It's the feel of it. I grew up in, in a brethren church, and n women didn't say anything, and they were very behatted. But I tell you this, <laughs> you, you, could, you could have a woman behatted and silent sitting on the third row who ruled the roost. So it's nothing whatsoever to do with outward communication. It's an inward heart attitude. So I think what Paul is saying is, if a woman teaches or has authority over a man, I think he's saying, if there's a way in which the very nature, the very nature of creation, which I'm wanting you to re reflect in the way you function, 1 Corinthians 11, the way men and women look together, the way they function together, that very reflection of the created order, make sure when you contribute in the public meetings that you don't have an atmosphere, you don't have a dynamic that makes it seem as if the woman is, is speaking over 
and, and taking an authority that's not seemly. That Jesus wouldn't have done that with the Father. The Holy Spirit wouldn't have usurped his place. There's a, there's a way of functioning that reflects God. Do you get what I'm trying to get out there? Now, I can't give you, therefore, a rule, say, can a woman preach on a Sunday morning or can't she? I think it's possibly both is true. Uh, let me give you another example, which probably won't help you, but I'll just tell you why, it's, why I think it's complicated. If, if you're in, for example, a very urbanized city center and militant feminism is a big problem in the educational system, the university system, and the people you've got coming into the church, perhaps younger people, very influenced by uh, cultural thinking, to adopt practices that are not really well understood in the light of the created order of Trinity, reflecting Trinity, to adopt practices too quickly could produce a situation where women are taking authority and speaking in a way that's inappropriate. It could do. If you're in a situation where actually uh, those sorts of issues are not really the kind of stuff that's really affecting the local community, it's probably much more easy to implement something that's more akin to um, reflecting the image of God in a way that's not, you're just not going to be pressing some of the cultural buttons that many of us come up against in big urbanized centers of, 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 of uh, megatrends. It, we're just not going to be doing that. So I think it's quite possible that for elderships, you've just got to gauge. Uh, I don't think there's any prohibition to a woman sharing on a Sunday morning. I really don't. I think the issue is how is it said, what is said, and, and is it taking authority uh, from a man in a way that's, not see, that's out of place? I think that's more what it's about. Because 1 Corinthians 14, as we said earlier, um, uh, where's this verse? Each one should have a hymn, a lesson, a revelation. What's the difference between a lesson, a revelation, and a preach? It's, it's very diff- difficult. I, it's, it's nuanced. It's almost to do with how we communicate and what we're communicating. Um, And one of the things I'm looking for, I suppose, as we go forward, is that for us to work together as men and women, we're actually looking for men to invite and foster and encourage and value the contribution that women can make, not only publicly, but particularly that's the issue that often gets, we get a bit stuck on in, in complementary, complementarian circles. Yes, make public contribution because you've got some incredible insights and helps to bring to the whole perspective. I want to encourage that. But we have to do that in a way that somehow the very way that a woman might bring something publicly in terms of a preach or a, whatever you want to call it, um, a teaching, whatever you want to call it, is done in such a way that it's so obviously honoring of God's authority. I think that is a journey you have to go on through your heart rather than through your head. It's something we have to outwork amongst us. I, I cannot believe scripturally that egalitarianism has a scriptural basis. I just can't see that. But neither do I think there's a scriptural basis for saying women cannot do anything. I think that's... that's clearly not there either. So we've got to work this out together in a way that I think is about attitude, it's about reflecting the glory of God, it's about avoiding big pendulum swings, um, 
and, and also about local elderships going with what you feel faithful. Some of you are on a different part of the journey to others. I think that's absolutely fine. Even with an apostolic family, I think different people must be free to go on different journeys, but within the same overall overarching boundaries. I think um, Goff so helpfully at the, the forum we had recently made the obvious point that I think most of us have missed for a long while, that in, in uh, Romans, when Paul is summing up his list of people who worked hard with him for the gospel, 30% of the list is women. Now, without trying to be patronizing, and I, I'm really not trying, they weren't there just to make the tea. They really, that, that's, that's insulting. That they were on his list because they had been planting churches, they'd been working in mission, they'd been alongside him, shaping and, and contributing and helping in that equality, complementarian way that God initially created so that the glory of God was seen more fully as men and women worked together than, than it would have been if it had just been um, a male thing. So I, I just want to perhaps say also, you know, in Joel it says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, men and women, the Spirit's going to be poured out on. There's a sense in which, just to throw that one in as well, that we've got to travel, I think, carefully through this, but purposefully. And I, I want to encourage some experiments. I think we've got some great atmosphere among us and beautiful heart among us. I don't ever sense amongst any of our churches, I honestly don't, I never sense any kind of male chauvinism or militant feminism. I don't, I don't sniff that anywhere. And I think we have a great opportunity to develop some practice, to let our practice get up with our theology a little bit, so that we can actually say to people, look, this, this is what we're doing, and this is working, this is helpful, we're finding this um, you know, helpful as we journey forward to reflect the glory of God. Well, Come back to some questions and stuff later, but I just want to get, give Angela now a chance to just bring her reflections on that. So if you want to come and join us, Angela, and um, can we use one of those handheld microphones? So. Hello. Now I've got to follow on from that. <laughs> Mike asked me to give some application for actually how to release women in ministry because sometimes men don't know what to do they they are they're wanting to do it but how and i've just made some some points which i'm going to read to you over the years in new frontiers women have been encouraged to serve god in whichever way he's gifted them the actual practice of the encouragement hasn't seemed to match the verbal permission given so in the settings I've been in, we've been told, go and do, go and do. And we thought, but how do we do it? Because there hasn't actually been something set in place for us. I've recently read an excellent blog um, called The Compl Complementarian Woman Permitted or Pursued by Jen Wilkin, actually worth looking up. And what Jen Wilkins says is, you know, when women are told, you permitted, you permitted. Well, women don't step out and take what is permitted because we're a bit nervous. 
to do that. So we need to be pursued. So you look for the gifting in a woman and say, I'd like you to lead the prayer meeting. I'd like you, you know, on Sunday, it would be very nice if you brought a prophecy. Actually giving women jobs to do. And that is the pursuing instead of waiting because we are quite reluctant really in general to step out because we don't know who's going to push us back. It's a matter of go and ask, will you lead this? Will you help in this? Give women jobs to do. It's as easy as that. Yeah, pursue instead of just permit. Number two, having sat as the only female in various male environments, I've learned that men in a church situation seem so used to speaking about or to men and how to move them on in God and sometimes don't even seem aware that there are women around or in their congregations. Therefore, it's going to take quite a great deal of intention intentionality, <laughs> good South African word, to break apartheid. We use that word over and over. And I heard Julian use it this morning too, intentional. Now, where I learned this was I was on a white staff. Jubilee Community Church in Cape Town was a white staff. And I worked in the townships. And at times, some of my black friends said to me, now, Angela, when you meet together as a staff, do you purposely plan how to keep us black people out of the leadership, running of things, enjoyment of life? That's quite a question, eh? Would you like to be asked that? And I would have to say to them, do you know, we are so used to being white and thinking white that you don't even feature in our way of thinking. And to me, that's the same thing because church, from maybe my perspective or a woman's perspective, has been really male. It's like, well, men think of men. How do we promote men? What do we do with men? And so on. So to actually get women ministering in their gifting is going to take some intention, intentionality. Is that whatever? Yeah. Do you see? It's, it's an actual mindset change which is massive. It's a massive thing, but worthwhile. Everybody's still happy. <laughs> Not every man is going to be used in a leadership role, and that applies to women too. So it's not suddenly to expect all women now to do something and to lead something and to be a somebody in the same way as you wouldn't expect it from men, but to actually call out of women what you, what you, the gifting that you see there. Yeah, pressure must not be put on women to be what they're not called to be, if that is not in their gifting. Having said that, all women should be encouraged, whether they are, have leadership gifting or not. All women. Some women feel totally honored in their church environment, and that's wonderful. But we're talking about a culture of honor. That word comes up all the time. A culture of honoring women in the different churches, in different environments. Some women may not even realize that they're not included in things in a church 
setting because they um, that's not their gifting, that's not their role. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't be encouraged. Even as men, you know, I, I'm not only for women. I, I like to see what I call the men in the back rows in a church. I love to see them move on in their gifting. And in the same way, I love to see the women move on in their gifting. The whole thing of releasing women in ministry mustn't be the focus of the church. Simon Pettit always said that the church mustn't be issue-driven. Simon Pettit, for those who don't know, was um, our leader in Cape Town, a brilliant apostolic guy. Um, and he used to say we must never be issue-driven. We must be gospel or kingdom-driven, um, but not issue-driven. So the whole woman thing mustn't become an issue. Otherwise, we lose out on advancing the kingdom. Having women released must be as normal part of the church, like breaking bread, prayer meetings, and a heart for the poor. Nothing abnormal about that at all. Elders shouldn't be pressured into doing something which they may not have the faith for at this moment or are convinced about. It's all grace, you see. It's whatever you've got faith for. It's not, now this is the latest trend I must fit in. It's not like that at all. Grace must be extended to each elder to find his way into what he believes God is saying to him, but be open to change if that is what the Holy Spirit is showing him. And Father, we do ask for that now. We ask in this setting that you just work in hearts and minds of men and women so that the kingdom will advance in this nation and other nations. Oh, so we have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which we're on the brink of. We want it, Lord. We're going to be so busy, we need everybody involved. Eldership is a governmental office where men serve for a season, then they step out of that office. When they step out, they no, no longer have the governmental role, but they still retain their gifting. And that's a big thing. It's a big one. It's an office. And that's not often spoken about in church settings. Uh, so often men and women look at, I'm not talking el what, maybe what elders think, but men and women in the congregation see eldership as part of the gifting. That's why there's this kind of, oh, I want to be, I should also be an elder. Because I've met, you know, or ministered to men who at 40, 50 years of age just want to give up because they're not an elder. And they say, well, then where's my gifting? I've done nothing with my gifting. So it's an office which comes and goes, but when you step out of office, the gifting is still there. And maybe to actually let people know that and in that way release great gifting in the church. Sometimes women with leadership gifting are cautious about stepping out in their gifting in case they are thought of as wanting to be elders. That's a big one. We better not. I better not bring too many and I better not say because they, they are going to think, I want to be an elder. Or women have Jezebel spirits. And it's, it's big. You know, it's, it's big things that women who have some kind of role have this thing that they have to counter all the time. Better not. 
elder, better not, Jezebel. Did you know this? Handpick, this is maybe something you can do. Handpick women who have specific gifting like prophecy, pastoring, and so on, and send, send them to be trained at various churches offering training. This gives dignity and encourages women that they are worth investing in. So actually handpick men and women and say, I would like to invest in you and send you out for some training. Wonderful stuff. You see, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's just so ordinary, but just things that we miss. On the authority issue, if an elder leader asks a, uh, a woman's advice or opinion on church life, it's up to him whether he uses the advice, be it foundational or otherwise. Isn't that what it is? Someone asks, now, when, you know, what advice can we take? Is it found, what if women get foundational or whatever? And it's like, well, you can take it or leave it. If you're asking, take it or leave it. Sometimes elders may consider inviting women's opinions in elders' meetings as women have a different take on an issue which elders may find helpful when trying to work through issues. The world isn't going to explode. Do you know, if you every now and again invite a, a woman or a group of women and say, what do you think about? You might be surprised to find that a solution could come in something because women have a different way of looking at stuff. And then my, my last one. I'm regularly being approached by leader women to mentor them. What they say is that when elders or apostles come to visit the church, they meet with the men and help them move on in God. Women have missed out on this and need other women to come alongside them to mentor them in the same way. It is, it's a big thing because, um, yeah, you get the apostolic guys, the leader guys, elders going around, you know, and they come into the churches. But what about the wives or the other women with leadership gifting or whatever? Find a way of getting women involved to actually come and mentor them as well. So you're working together so the church is growing in the men being mentored as well as women. And I think that's, that's my bit. Was that all right? Um, we'll try and do some Q&A together. Uh, <laughs> so well, I've got a whole load of questions people had put in, but let's just start with where we're at now and we'll see, see where we go. Yeah. Sorry, if that understandable tone about the Jezebel story, sorry, you could just go over that. Right, just for the, for the camera, uh, the question is what was the, the, the thing about the Jezebel spirit? Do you want to just elaborate a bit more? Okay. There was a season in our history where uh, the Jezebel spirit was spoken about quite often, um, about women trying to rule, take over and rule, as with Jezebel and Ahab. And there was a season which was spoken about quite a lot. And um, 
And so women got a bit nervous to actually step out for, for anything. And I remember being invited to a church in the UK. And when I met the elder, I mean, he invited me. And when I met him, he said, you know, I don't like Jezebel spirits. And I thought, ooh. But he invited, you know, he invited me back after that because he saw that that's not what I'm about. But it's, a, it's quite a big thing. Hmm. I think that's really just something just to say is... Um, if we can kind of demonstrate this by standing here, I want to say, you know, I trust Angela implicitly and she's part of the team serving the churches. And I think if there's one way you can totally kill a kind of a Jezebelic thing is you demonstrate something that isn't. And I know Angela completely kind of looks to, to, to me in terms of the things that God's give, gifted me to do and I trust her with the things God's gifted her to do and I almost kind of want to say whatever other, the questions are if we can try and model something in terms of how we outwork it then we'll go much much further than loads of books because he's actually showing what we mean and, and I don't sort of trust Angela because I think she's got some sort of mega gifting that's different to other women I trust her because I know her heart and I think she's, she's totally submissive in the same way as I hope I'm totally submissive to other brothers I'm leading with. So I kind of think it's something we, we've got to really demonstrate this. Because I think the more you, you are on the same page in terms of heart and trust, you can actually push things within the boundaries better because you know you're on safe ground, if that makes sense. So I kind of just wanted to say that, really. So, other questions? Oh, come on. I mean, I won't promise you'll be giving you definitive answers, but there's, lo there's loads of questions on my sheet, so I know you've got... Yeah. I think just for the, um, uh, for the sake of integrity, I think a lot of the time male leaders um, find it difficult to meet up with females and trying to develop them, mentoring them. I think obviously you spoke about women approaching you to be mentoring. How appropriate is it for a male to mentor just to repeat that for the the tape is uh, how would you go about um, advising uh, men to be mentoring female what kind of settings can that uh, can that work in only group settings <laughs> yeah no male female mentoring it's just too close hmm. so so definitely group settings or get getting some women together uh, but not for the normal Bible study, you know. This is with a definite intention of women passing on, gifting, passing on skills to other women or else group settings. Mm, very good. Okay, other things? Yes. Mike, you describe yourself as a, a soft complementarian in terms of you know, just the general different functions between men and women. Yet on the whole issue of eldership being male, Presumably, there's a harder line being taken here. Would you just like to comment on the whole business again? Yes. Well, in terms of, for the recording, um, soft complementarian, uh, what does that mean when it comes to eldership? You know, is there a hard line? I, I do believe that eldership is male, not because women are not capable, because I think, to be honest, most women I know are much more capable, <laughs> because they're often more intuitive about people than men are. I don't think it's anything to do with capability. I think it's to do with God assigning a responsibility. And that 
is, a, is nothing to do with capability. It's simply that God has said, men, I want you to do that. Ladies, I want you to do this. It's, it's, it's purely same as Jesus didn't send the Father. Father sent the Son, even though technically within God, he, you know, the roles could have been reversed in terms of equality. There's, there wasn't like a Jesus is less than the Father, so he has to do what he's told. There's a submission. God is equal, one within himself. So I think the complementarian fence posts do go around male eldership, but I think where we need to explore is how do we get women in leadership working to male eldership? How do we get women in the more public ministries in a way that doesn't uh, teach or take authority over that kind of fence posts? I, th I think those are the areas. But if you know what it isn't, it's a little easier to outwork what it is. Uh, I, I think that, that gives us safety. Uh, and I think, actually, if you really know what, you're, uh, what, you, what you can and what the Scripture <laughs> is, is and isn't encouraging... It's a lot easier to have some uh, safe experiments and just review as you go along. How did that feel? What did that work? What, how, and yeah, so that would be my, my view on that. I think that eldership is male because that's a God's responsibility. Nothing to do with capability would be my take on it. If you've got anything else to say or add in that. It's an office. Yeah. I, I think that is so important, again, to speak on that as as eldership is an office and um and when a man steps out of office that kind of governmental role is has gone mm. but his gifting is still yep. all there yep. and so in the same way say it's males in the office of eldership but men and women do your gifting yes. do you see yes. it's yes. a very clear line mm. and i think that's something that i thought about to for myself, which explains, which I've used to explain to other people, now come on, just get on with your gifting, leave the office, let them do the, the governing role, let's advance the kingdom together. Mm. You see? Yeah. Any other things? Just do a couple more. Uh, obviously time is, yes. Hypothetical. If, if you had a man who was, say, a strong, not an elder, but a strong teacher, his wife's maybe on the edge of the church possibly a Christian but not a, a bit difficult you might you might allow that man to teach because he has a great teaching and you respect him if it was flipped and the woman had the strong teaching and her husband was on the edge of the church would would how would you feel about that dynamic in terms of he's the head of her but you're the head of the church and you you don't want to punish her on his behalf and it, <laughs> okay, goodness, I had a for that for the I hope you picked that up on the camera. Uh, I think uh, I, I would actually, I think the question is if you've got a man with a strong teaching gift but his wife is on the fringes of church, you might let him teach, but you, you know, but if the, the woman had a, had a strong preaching teaching ability but he was on the edge of the church, would you allow her the same freedom? Personally, I, 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 uh, I would probably tend to go for the equality issue in this, and I'd want to try and get them running together within their gifting, because otherwise I think it has a... Uh, it's not that you've got to wait for the other one before anyone can do anything, but you almost don't want to... You don't want to put extra strain on something where something's not quite together yet. So I think that's a pastoral... Uh, it's a pastoral answer to and a variety of 
why is he or she on the edge? There, there may be just some things that need... So I, I think rather than a theological one, I, I, I would say I, men and women should run together into things, whoever's got the... You know, and, and I think it's quite permissible for a woman to have a more public gift than her husband, but if they're both together in heart, I'd be wanting that, uh, just for the sake of pastoral uh, well-being, I think. But it's not hard lines. Uh, you know, some people just go through tough times, and then you have to just bear with that, and it comes good. So I wouldn't want to be too hard-lined about it. Anything else on that? No, sir. Okay, anything? Yes? Yeah, just interested your take, thinking of the, the, uh, the needs plus five, yesterday, mm. which was great. Would, would you be happy in terms of talking as women, as apostles? So we, we clearly want to encourage the other gifts. Is that, is that a, mm. I guess, a, a way of putting it that you're happy with, mm. if not? Right, for, the, for the, the repeating the question is, if we talk about lead plus, uh, and we're trying to encourage the five-fold ministry development, would we be happy with men and women on that, even representing gifts like apostle or whatever it is? Pretty much what you're saying. I think with all of those things, uh, it is all about, um, again, reflecting the way we function. I think apostolic ministry is incredibly governmental in as much as it appoints elders into office. So it's, a, it's an office-creating function, which I think would be difficult to see how a woman could do that without taking authority over a man. So I, I, but I do think women can be caught up in apostolic mission in terms of planting churches getting, you know, extending the kingdom, apostolic mission is much more than just appointing elders, but that bit of it is very governmental, so it would be about, again, nuancing. Uh, I wouldn't think probably even Angela would be comfortable if I said, Angela, you're an apostle, but I think Angela would want to feel, Angela, you're part of my apostolic team, and we're caught up together in, in, in planting churches, touching the nation. Angela's planted churches. That's part of apostolic function. But it's, again, it's this thing of uh, nuancing what we say so that we retain the equality yet complementarian nature of how we present ourselves. I, that's the best I can do with it. And, and I, I think the way it looks, the way it feels, and the way it's presented is actually crucial in this. I think that is the crucial thing. How does, does it reflect God when we look at it? Does, do we feel God is honoured in the way he's created men and women? Have you got any... I think Simon Pettit explained it so well. Him, with his, apost his apostolic gifting, he, he spoke so much apostolically to us, and the kingdom, and the kingdom, that we all caught it. Mm. And there was a team of us who got this apostolic thread in us, and we didn't know how to do anything else, but we caught it from him, with him kind of leading us, and there we were with him in it, but I think in an apostolic movement, you're going to find people picking it up and catching it, men and women mm. being apostolically moving around the kingdom together, yeah. but with an apostle as the head. Yeah, I think it's, Lydia is a classic case where, you know, the church in Philippi was largely, she did the building, you know, she, she opened her home. We don't exactly quite what she did, but clearly if it wasn't for her, it wouldn't have got going. You know, oh. Paul was just passing through really she did the nuts and bolts and as Goff yeah, helpfully pointed out the list in Romans people who worked hard with me contended at my side for the gospel that's apostolic team you know that now it's not apostles it's apostolic team and I think we, we just have to allow those little nuances that I think um, 
Scripture yeah, nudges us in that way to be to, to present it that way. I, I, that's how I feel most comfortable anyway. So, yes, I'd want church planters and boundary crosses in terms of breaking open new ground. I'd want men and women on that lead plus five thing because there, there will be women amongst us that will go and plant churches. And I'm more than happy with that. That's great. They will, they will break open the ground, perhaps in a way that men couldn't in a certain context. Lydia did. So I think we, we've got to be open to that, but it's got to be then within the safety and boundary of male authority, giving nurture and, 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 and um, accountability to that and government to that in a way that men should by taking responsibility for the church broadly. Anything else? Well, yeah. I think you very helpfully explained it in terms of how creating the field, if you like, and particularly this whole area of authority. And I guess my question within that is, while we can create assurance on the intent of the, the person who's bringing the word, and again, an example for Angela in terms of you're very confident her intent is not to exercise authority, <laughs> if it is around sort of feelings which again can be subjective, and I may be sitting here as an elder or as receiving, and I'm receiving it not in a sense of authority, but my brother is, if it, again, how much weight do you put on the impact of what's being said and how the person is receiving it in terms of understanding authority, what it means and how it's received, if you like. And I guess it's that issue of I may be absolutely fine with it, but my brother isn't next to me. He is feeling authority is being exercised over him. Yeah, well, in terms of if a woman uh, speaks, speaks with, in with public. Right yeah. With absolutely yeah, yeah. her intent yeah. is right, yeah. but if it is an issue of feeling, and my brother yes. is going to receive I mean, for the For the tape, I think how do, how do we... If someone, say, a, a man f is feeling that when a woman uses a, a gifting publicly of some degree and speaks with some degree of authority, I mean, to be honest, if a woman reads out a Bible passage, that is actually the word of God. It's fairly authoritative. So I'd want him, I'd want him to feel there's authority coming to, with this. So I, I think this is where, whether he feels it in that moment or not, if he reads Scripture he's still going to have to wrestle with the same things we're wrestling with this afternoon. That there is a legitimate or uh, authoritative moving in the Holy Spirit that men and women will do and should do that we have to... I think it's probably more an issue in him than the issue of the woman bring it if she's doing it in a way that is not you know, usurping. If she's doing it with, with, with a beautiful heart uh, to, to honour Scripture... I think that's more an issue for him. And it might be a cultural issue, because culture, uh, we're all bringing lots of culture to this issue, uh, which is why I'm trying to just uh, say gently, gently, let's, let's, let's explore intentionally and purposefully, but bear in mind we've got, we've got to walk carefully and securely through all of this. Uh, not that we have inertia, but we just, yeah, we're mindful of how people... I'm going to receive things. That's probably the best I can do on that. I don't know if you've got anything to add. No. Okay, I'll probably just take one more because I do want to make sure we get a bit of time to worship and enjoy the Lord. But this is obviously a big subject. It's not the final word on the subject, and some of you might feel, goodness, I'm more confused than I was. But at least you know what you're confused about now a bit more. <laughs> so so uh, I'm happy with the... I'm happy that that is the... If I can kind of just kind of sound the tuning fork and let the note ring... Handling it in this kind of gentle, hopefully gentle, nuanced, ambiguous but purposeful within some parameters, I think that's the way, this is the way we have to handle this issue. Because if we make strong statements here, there and everywhere, I don't think scripture does that. 
I think scripture is finely poised on the outworking of it, but it's very clear, personally, I'm convinced it's very clear on the complementarian nature of, of uh, in terms of eldership. I don't have any issues about that. But how men and women function in church life, I think we've got to explore that together and be a bit more intentional about it. Yeah. I guess that for most elderships, where the question will be most finely focused is on, are we happy to have a woman preaching on Sunday morning, not sharing or reading from notes, but are we happy to have a woman preaching on Sunday morning? I guess that's likely to be the question in the cars on the way home. Um, could you just share how, 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 how that discussion might have got worked out in your own eldership, just to give us some kind of feel for that so we can think of that on the way home? Well, I think, yeah, the issue about women preaching on a Sunday morning, I, I think, I, I personally don't think that by a woman sharing on a Sunday morning, preaching on a Sunday morning, bringing, even if you read a bit of scripture, you are, te- you are conveying truth. So, it, it depends what, what kind of word you want to use. I think it's, I don't think that necessarily um, is teaching or taking authority over a man in the way that Paul is referring to. I think he's talking about a certain kind of authority and teaching, which by its very nature has a governmental slant to it. That again, it's very, it's very, what does this look like? What does this feel like? It it's, it's, does not by very nature, it, it, Paul argues in, in, in chapter 11, does not the very nature of things show you that men and women should look different, be different. He's, He's trying to say the way we reflect God should look a certain way. And I think that I don't have any problem with a woman uh, preaching on a Sunday morning. I think uh, in, in our church, we have Angela, we'd have uh, I had no problem. I've, I mean, goodness me, we've sat the whole elderships of New Frontiers in front of Jackie Pullinger, and she's, you know, so there's no, it's more about what is the regular expectation and I think because again the way we do church on a Sunday morning means that it's the only time everyone's gathered together you would expect that the very nature of elders governing affairs and and speaking into the church and shaping values bringing authoritative teaching from scripture you'd expect the majority of that to be done by the men the fathers in the house as it were shaping the family you'd expect that because that's the way it would that's the way scripture would lend itself but I don't think that that excludes women having a contribution to make in that because otherwise, what does he mean in 1 Corinthians 14 by each one of you might have a lesson or a word of instruction? I think that's just too narrow, but I wouldn't want to swing the pendulum so far that we can't tell the difference in the way that authority is exercised. That's the best I can do because I think it's a journey. I don't know... If any other team want to, are you happy? Have I reflected where we're at with that? Yeah, um, that, that would probably be, if Goff says it's spot on, I'm happy. I can, I'm a, <laughs> that's, that's good. Have you got anything you want to add into that? Cause, uh. <laughs> I think that such a big deal really is made um, of the whole Sunday, who's, who's in the pulpit mm. thing. Yes. <laughs> Have two pulpits, perhaps that's the answer. but i think the the scary thing in that is unless male or female it seems like can get into that pulpit that's the be all and end all of christian life do you see 
And so for me, if all pulpits close on a Sunday, I'll have a Sunday off. I can just sit and receive. But I, I mean that very seriously. It's just one of those things that God has allowed that pulpits open. Um, but, you know, if we keep on about the pulpit, it sets a tone of that's the, the biggest thing in the whole week is unless you've been in that pulpit, you haven't arrived. And it's actually to encourage people, go and do your gifting. Leave that. If you're invited to that, fine. But if not, enjoy, be filled, be listen, and then go and do out there what is being taught, you know? Otherwise, we become so inward-looking, and it's all about this. Instead of, we out there, six days, six and a half days a week, it's like, go and do your job out there, and don't always hanker after this. Hmm. I think the other thing is also, the more, perhaps, missionally we break out, and we end up with even slightly more mid-sized groups, you're going to need more and more men and women who can speak in a group of 50, 60, if you've got sites breaking out all over the place. It may be on the Sunday, everybody comes together, and then you do want your kind of your, your apostolic authoritative. T- but then if we're trusting God for growth, we're going to, even if you're the most dyed in the wool, no men must be the only ones, you're going to run out of people. <laughs> you know, uh, if we believe in God for growth. I, so I think, come on, let's, let's kind of be a bit more creative. We've only got large meetings and cell groups. We've never done very well triplets and mid-sized communities. That's one of the exciting things about the missional community thing in Sheffield. They've managed to unlock a whole raft uh, now whether it's, uh, of men and women, and whether it's kind of um, multi-site or, or missional communities or church plants with it. I don't care what you call it or what you do with it. I just think getting men and women much more out there rather than just the one opportunity in the week when someone addresses the church. Why not have dozens of opportunities and dozens of settings that need men and women to be functioning at that level? I I don't see a problem with that. I think it's because we're just used to doing it one way and we've got to break the wine skin and then I think the wine's easier to drink, to be honest, if you can put it that way. I think we'll stop there and you can all talk in the back in the cars going home. Uh, and um, thank you, Angela, ever so much for that. So, yeah.